Hello and welcome to Two Pre-Sales in a Pod, your authentic global voice for the pre-sales and buyer enablement world. And we have some fun along the way too. So thanks for joining us and don't forget to find out our top tips on today's topic at the end. A very warm welcome to episode 61 of Two Pre-Sales in a Pod. And in this episode, you have two co-hosts, uh, my colleague, Mr. Mark Green. Hello, everybody. Mark Green and myself, uh, Don Carmichael. Um, and for people in a previous episode who said that uh, myself and Adam both sound the same because we're a bit northern, the, the, don't worry, Adam's not on this one. So the only one who's a bit northern is me. And I'd like to introduce Mr. Toby Baker, who's joined us. I've actually known Toby quite a long while. From uh, He's at High Spot right now. So, uh, Toby, do you sound a bit northern? I don't. <laughs> well, I don't think I do. I might do. I, I spent much of my uh, growing up years in Norfolk and Lincolnshire, so there might be little tiny bits of that. But, uh, but currently so. in London. Currently in London, yeah. Currently in London, yeah. yeah. So, Toby, Toby we, we kind of first met-ish back in when we were both at Oracle. That was a little sojourn, if that was. And then uh, you've been at Hootsuite for a long while, but now you're uh, sales enablement with Highspot. That's right. That's right. I've been in customer experience solutions for quite a number of years and now i'm moving into customer experience with a b2b flavor definitely oh that's a very interesting flavor for the for this podcast so i'm looking forward to diving into that mm. but uh before we get to that because we, we before we press record we've been chatting quite a quite ranging wide-ranging chat which will kind of hopefully encompass in in this half an hour and um, but the, the first thing to do though is because we've talked a lot um many people talk about um business to consumer experiences uh coming into the business to business world but there's actually a fundamental question that we kind of miss that having toby on here would be the perfect person to ask which is what does customer experience actually mean and then you know and help us draw it into the b2b world well when i was at oracle we used to explain customer experience in it, it we used to say a customer's experience is the sum of all interactions a customer has with a brand or organization. So anything that happens, be it driven by marketing, by sales, by service, the customer doesn't care, by the way, anything that happens to them, every experience they have, every interaction they have with a brand, add all that together and that's their experience. Yeah. So, so presumably in the, you know, in the bad old days, we'd think about, you know, sale, well, this still happens perhaps in the insurance world, you know, the, the sales process is brilliant, you know, everyone's very attentive, you know, be, kind of really help you get to that kind of close. And then after that, nothing, you know, it's a really kind of poor experience. So customer experience is, you know, is, is all of that. together. Yeah, I think, I think as the world has been changing towards SaaS software, um, and, people have needed to stick around and rather than just sell someone some software and then run away once it's once it's installed or even before it's installed um now um it's really important to keep up your um net revenue retention reduction churn expansion all of these things and businesses are really piling into that to value their businesses so looking after your customers has now become um a a, a profit driver rather than just um, looking after them because you're doing good PR. 
exactly and the um you know the, the great service is a differentiator great experience is a differentiator in the btc b2c world we we intrinsically understand that um and it's and when we used to talk about customer experience back back in the day when oracle was building out a, a platform um by buying lots of companies of which i was one of um the, then we, we always used to use B2C examples just because they were very easy to understand that everyone had a B2C experience, but, but not everyone has had a B2B experience. So, um, so yeah, great point, Mark. Yeah. Hey, again, just before we press record, we're having a bit, it was quite an amusing chat about what the differences are and the, the motivators between business to consumer and whether they actually transpose into the, the business to world, you know, and we're talking about, you know, what would be a, a buying compelling event um, so and I was just thinking, you know, we talk about discounts. Does that work, you know, from consumer world to business world? But there's also things like in the consumer world, if there was a two for one, you know, that doesn't really work in the, in the business world. But yeah, Toby, what what are your thoughts on that? On um, things that drive behaviour, compelling, mm, yeah, compelling yeah, reasons to go do things. Well, yes, yeah, so in the B two C world, we talk about sort of uh, scarcity and being the first, and like being, you know, early adopters. That kind of thing are big drivers. But I don't know whether they whether they occur in in B two B. You can you can put in, you know, you can put discounts in as, as sort of thing to drive compelling events. But I, I had a sales leader once who, who used to say the end of quarter is not a compelling event, mm. um, but uh, but it can be made one, I guess. Yeah, well, I was really surprised to see um, some, well, and pleased, I guess, to see some of this B2C methodology making its way over to B2B. Whether or not it will work or not, I don't know. I think it's possibly um, affects smaller purchases than larger ones. But, for example, I, I saw an advert for Sage, and they've got a Black Friday sale, six months free uh, on a couple of their smaller products. And I'm thinking, wow, that's that's because they've realised that their consumer is a big is a business, but it's a person, and they and and they can be made to feel that urgency. Yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, the. It, yes, absolutely. The um, we expect the same kind of experience when we're in our jobs as we do when we're not in our jobs so we expect experiences to be as easy as amazon or apple or whatever else um if we're trying to buy software or buy something for our business we expect it to be easy but it's, it's often much much harder because more people are talking to you more people are trying to sell to you the the, the messages are all mixed up but really we expect the experience to be just as good um when we're in our jobs I, I, the other thing I was thinking about, because we're thinking about this transition from uh, business to consumer to business to business, is is actually all these confusing terms that we actually have for, you know, who the client who Well, there you go. Client. Is it a client? Is it a customer? Is it a prospect? Is it a lead? Is it an opportunity? Uh, and then we get into things like uh, talking about customer, but actually then we start talking about uh, there are stakeholders there and decision makers, and we're given all these names. And and I think just before, again, we press record, which is, I think, Toby, you said, well, actually, shouldn't we just treat them all as humans? Exactly, exactly. Um, they are, we, we do forget sometimes that our customers are people too. And our prospects are people too. And uh, you know, rather than trying to give them a label like a gatekeeper or a blocker or an enabler or an influencer or whatever else, yeah, yeah, I saw that work to quite good effect actually. Um, not that I'm 
um, particularly knowledgeable about football, but I did see uh, a colleague on a call bring some of that humanising personal connection um, just by asking where someone's from, just because the meeting hadn't really started yet. Oh, so where are you from? Oh, there's football. And then just finding that little connection. And then it suddenly everyone realises that they're humans at the start of the call, and, it, and, and the whole thing goes really so, so much better. Yes, I was. Um, I, I did. I I do remember speaking to a salesperson uh, recently uh, from another company um, who made a point of asking questions about what was behind me on the wall, uh, which was happened to be some musical instruments. So he wanted to ask me about what kind of music that I played and or everything else, and I. I, I could I could tell actually that they really didn't care what music <laughs> I played. They just wanted to put that, add, add that personal question in, and um, so I think if you know treating if you're going to treat people as humans, actually treat them like humans, and actually do be genuinely interested in in them and what they're trying to not just them as humans, but what they're trying to achieve for their businesses. Yeah, you, you sometimes see CRM demos, and they're kind of going through what they're capturing, you know, for a, a customer or you know a client, and it, there's, there's a space there, therefore has cat all this kind of thing. <laughs> so, and it'd be, and and you know that the suspicion of that, of course, is later on you deal with someone else and go, oh, by the way, I understand you've got a cat, and you kind of look and like, how do you know that? And of course, they, they've actively been recording that kind of minutiae, you know, to to see to make it as personal as possible. So, so one I, of the things that I was really fascinated to get your opinion on, uh, Toby, is that as we start to do, do this customer experience, buyer experience, um, all the way through the buying journey, um, well, like we said, there's lots of different stakeholders. And we talk often about making sure that these stakeholders are involved. And I know that there's different ways in which you can get the... Uh, I think you said the the most important person in the room, or the highest paid, uh, oh, the, the hippo person. That's it, the, the hippo, hippo, isn't it? The highest paid person's opinion. As he right. Yes. So That's it'd be great, great to be able to get them in the room. It's not always possible. Um, and so, what I'm w- wondering is, how can we better understand the danger of leaving these people behind? So whether. With mm. with these faster buying journeys, faster buying cycles, we're enabling people to do these things much, much faster. If you leave some of these very important people behind, how do you think mm. that affects when they're trying to get it signed, they're trying to make the project happen, and for some reason, someone just keeps blocking it? I think it's because they've not been listened to. Oh, what, what, what do you think? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And it, if 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 you're selling anything to a business, it doesn't have to be software. But if you're selling anything at all, um, you're probably your your organisation and the people within it are the experts in what projects like that look like and and how to get them started and how to get them done. So, as a vendor, you should really know who the people are, how to get them involved, when to get them involved. If you you could almost look at it as best practice for getting one of these programs or projects started. The pre-sales used to be. A very, I think, <laughs> twenty years ago or so, a very reactive sort of a role. You know, you 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 turn up and talk about how brilliant your product was, and you'd make it sing and make it dance, and everyone would think that was very great, and you get a round of applause, and then maybe somebody would buy something at the end. Um, but now it's a lot more across the purchasing cycle, across the buying cycle, if you like. So back to your original point, Mark. The um, 
knowing who to get involved at at what point is is useful for the sales team but it's even more useful for the buyer because they need to know we need to bring in it at this point we need to bring in you know the uh, the integration team at this point we need to bring in this stakeholder that stakeholder uh, in order to to get your customer's project started i don't i'm not saying get a project sold i'll get a solution sold i'm saying to get the customer's project started yeah so um so we're kind of funneling this to, you know, how does this all impacts pre-sales? Um, one of the things we talked about as, as well, uh, Toby, was we both met um, customer journey mapping at Oracle. And I, I remember meeting it at SAP as well. And in, and there are now lots of companies who kind of employ that tool. I was just wondering if, you know, for people who've not come across this before, if you just tell us a little bit about how it works and, and how would you see a pre-sales role? Would they be the people who run this thing called a customer journey mapping exercise? Yes, Yes, they would. So customer journey mapping is a way of presenting um, any challenges that an organization has in terms of the impact on the customer. So it would start with a persona um, and all of those interactions they have with a brand. It could be a fictitious one to get a starter. It could be the real brand or the real organization mapped out. And you start with the emotions and attitudes that that customer has when these things are happening during their buying cycle. Um, it's very easy in a B2C because it's one persona. In a B2B uh, scenario, you you would naturally have more than one buyer. So when I ran them in uh, in previously, we'd we'd have two personas, a technical buyer and a business buyer. We'd map it from those two different perspectives. And we'd get down to what systems are involved and the touch points and the value and the KPIs and all of those things. They might have different KPIs. And we'd map all that out. And then outward pops some innovations that you measure in terms of impact on the business, impact on the customer. And so you can measure the whole thing in terms of in terms of the customer's experience, whether that's B2B or B2C. And yes, the pre-sales um person would run that yeah so that that's really interesting and and you mentioned about b2c being based on one persona i think that um classically yes but i think there's actually um there's a depth that sometimes happens that always happens in b2b which is uh for example when you one of the one of the things that I order for, um, when I'm cooking, um, one of the ingredients you can order online, and it says, "Do you want um, a big sticker on the top of this that says congratulations on winning the prize?" Uh, because then, of course, uh, you don't have to say, oh, "What what what else have you been buying?" Uh, because of course, there's another stakeholder involved, and they're not yes, necessarily uh, yes. the person that's buying Your buying the thing other. or even using the thing. But of course, in B two B, that happens. Um, a lot and uh there's many many people like 10 16 different people you've got to corral and mm. sell um sell sell to yes but of course we want to help them buy it's the other half of the other side of the same coin to a certain degree what about one when because you can't get meetings with all of all of those people what, what's your advice on on getting that message to those th those other people between the meetings all of that well the first um there's a couple of things there one is um if we talked about sort of being the expert in the way that these programs are started or these projects are started um so one of the things i've tried before is to create a a, a visual map of the weeks between now and whenever including project start date and first case study and all of that and 
where people need to get involved in order to make this project a success. Um, and that's something you can do at maybe the first meeting. And the other thing that crops up in, in sales methodologies quite a lot, we did um, in Hootsuite, we used value selling and it's the mutual plan letter. Uh, and that's something that the sales uh, leads and creates this almost like sequence of events that, uh, that that happen and the value of what we're doing and, and summary of the conversation so far, but also projecting into the future. Um, and that, I think, those, both those tools are a way of saying, um, here's what a successful project is going to look like and we're going to help you through it. That, that's, I mean, that's so important, the, the idea of a mutual success plan, be, be emphasizing that the client has to put a lot of effort into this. It's not like we're going to come along and here's, you know, here's a load of logins, you know, we've uh, run up some instances and now it's over to you because that's just not going to create success. You know, they have to put effort and things and, you know, change management in there as well, you know, and making sure that they're engaged in this as, as much as possible. So that, that's powerful stuff. Yeah, um, and back to back to your question and comment, Mark, just now is like, how do you get access to people who aren't necessarily don't have the, they don't have necessarily have the time to be with you? you? Maybe you've got to go and talk to sixteen different people, but those sixteen different people haven't got the same diaries, and it's pretty hard to get involved, get get, get in front of them. So there's there's a whole load of tools out there and approaches to help get your message to or or, or not your message, maybe that's the wrong word, but get a, to bring everyone up to speed, the context of the program or project or solution or whatever else in front of all of the people from creating portals for people, um, automating demos so that they can see them offline, sending content so that they can be looked at offline and get analytics back so that we know who's looked at it. Um, uh, and, and, and making sure all the content across the go to all those people is consistent. So, that's really, really important. Consistency is super important in B2C and it's even more important in B2B. So um, one of one of the companies uh, in this space um, has a little slogan. Uh, it's something like um, sales and marketing are already married. They should be friends too. Um, which is, it's not, it's, that's not their slogan. That's one person that works for, uh, for Seismic, actually. He's, he's one of their business, he leads their business value team. And it's quite interesting. So, so that's you know, the content across sales and marketing has to be super consistent. Yeah. You do you do hear that a lot, don't you? The the messaging that's coming from marketing, and then it kind of clashes with what happens mm. when you when you kind of get in, into into kind of the sales process. Um, I loved what the, I'd love to know your opinion because you know you spent a long time at kind of Hootsuite, which a, a few of us have kind of used before, so we're big fans of of anything like that. Um, I'd love to get kind of your opinion on things like um, this idea about you know uh, employee advocacy in you know, the place of social inside selling because uh, you know a lot of us mm. might kind of go oh you know it's about uh influencing and and that kind of stuff but but actually people are still looking at your profile and they're still looking at um the posts that you do and the activity that you've got even in kind of mid-cycle so it's, it's really just ask you know ask yourself you know how important is social uh, and is it going to get more important well it's really important because that's where your customers are. You know, your customers look on LinkedIn. As soon as they get an email from you, they're going to look on LinkedIn and see what you're all about. Most of the time, not not everybody will, but they'll be flicking through, and it'll, you know, you may maybe they'll send, maybe you'll send a LinkedIn request, maybe you'll get connected. Um, and if you're in active conversation with the customer and you're sharing 
information and content through email channels or through through some kind of secure messaging or whatever um you want to make sure that everything you do through the more public world is consistent with that so something like um social selling is a broader term but something like employee advocacy is a is a way of making it easy for the content and messages that go via your employees to be consistent with what what marketing are, uh, are sharing so you personalize the content you personalize the uh, um the info but but it's it's suggested to you and i think that's that's the difference that many companies miss when they start uh when they start with with tools like this, because they think of it as a way to get their very curated um, start of funnel marketing messages out to as many people as possible, because they're very worried about TQOs and they're very worried about filling that funnel full of prospects. Um, I think what's really interesting is when you see people who have been doing that for a while and then start to migrate to the systems, just like you're saying, um, is that having content available for people to comment on and quite frankly the most effective ones are when people find some content and disagree with it yeah because then that's starting a conversation yeah i mean one of the things i'd I'd add to that about employee advocacy is that um some of this early stages of it you can spot a mile away because uh i mean i i got i'm not going to say what company they work for some colleagues they used to work for and you can see exactly what they're doing on a friday afternoon they're kind of oh i'd have to do something with my linkedin was it social uh, selling index Um, and what they do is they go on because for most people um you know social employee advocacy so they get like a social feed thing and are expected to kind of um not just click you know share which is what they're doing you kind of you can see them clicking share on three you know three kind of um company articles and not adding their kind of spin on it their perspective on it you know there's no commentary on it there's no this is why i think so important or this is what i would think about this so you know i know why yeah. people are doing it it's getting get everybody off their back you know um you know it means that i'm actually posting some stuff but i don't think that's what people actually want people want to hear your opinion and and that's what you know i think in the social world that's the important bit is not i think that you send content out but that but actually people understand a lot more about what's your perspective on it yeah and that's the that's the um the tricky thing to get people to do because it's very easy to scroll through find an article and share it with just a couple of buttons mm-hmm. but at the actual there's an actual discipline around well I, the, the sort of the coffee cup moment or coffee break moment where you say well I'm, I'm going to spend five minutes i want to find something interesting write a sentence or two and share it maybe i'll tag some of my prospects and customers in there or my colleagues or whatever else to make it a little bit in, more interesting but yeah it's, it's definitely a discipline which sadly i haven't managed to instill in myself um but it, but, um, but people, in order to be effective, you do to be able, just off this kind of internal leaderboard idea, but more into an effective social seller. Yeah, well, so just on social selling, and before we move on to other things, because as you can tell, we could talk about this for ages. Um, <laughs> I would recommend um, people looking up on LinkedIn for a person called Richard Van der Blom. So Richard V A N. Next word, D-E-R, next word, B-L-O-M. Um, and he is a social selling master. Um, and what's very interesting is that he helps people understand the way in which things like LinkedIn, the way in which the al- algorithm changes, because good advice only lasts as long as 
the algorithm does, and then they change it. I totally agree with that. There's actually, a little funny thing about Richard van, van der Blom is that uh, he actually has um, a copyright symbol is the first part of his name. And the reason he does that is actually quite funny because what happens is a lot of when people are using automated tools to message, and, we, and I think we all know the ones we're talking about, you know, hello, whatever, and they've taken the first name. Well, the automated tools don't realize the difference between a copyright symbol and his name. So he gets all these dear copyright symbol. <laughs> you know, have you thought about doing social selling? Uh, and he's quite open about this to go, well, have you not checked my LinkedIn profile? That's exactly what I sell. So I, I love Richard. I think it's brilliant what he does. Um, so coming back to customer experience then, um, I know it's a massive passion of yours, David, you know, and, uh, and, and we talk about a lot about pre-sales. We talk about a lot about buyer enablement. What, what, what do you think, um, what do you think you're going to change or, or what are you trying to make happen for, that you've learned from the customer experience world into what it is that you're doing now? Because you must have some passions in this area. And so what, what are they? Wow, what a question! Um, so yeah, um, and it's it it makes it makes it very easy for me to to get behind the selling software when I can see there's been an impact on on the customer in some way. So everything that has an impact uh, has a positive impact on the customer's experience is a good thing. So uh, so trying to trying to get that into the mindset of the SEs. Uh, in my teams is really, really important. Like what you're, what you're trying to doing now is affecting real business change. You're improving something in their life. It might be in their business life, might be personally as well. Um, so that, so starting from there is is a, is a good is a good place to start. And then all the way along, trying to give your customer the best experience. Well, that's a very easy term to say, best experience. But you could also say most memorable. Yeah. So, you know, if, if you're trying to buy some software you'll get all these zoom meetings and people will pitch up and they'll put some slides up which look pretty much the same and you'll they'll you'll put some terms in front of you and so show you some software which pretty much looks the same um you'll go to an exhibition you'll go to all their stands and they pretty much look all the same so um i did an experiment once i i uh i, I took um my company's stand and our two major competitors stands from an exhibition i changed the content changed the colors and I and I remove the logos and, and try to get the sales team to identify whose was whose and no one could do it because yeah. they all pretty much all look the same, same slogans, everything. So you had to make it so one one great way of creating a great experience is to make it memorable. Uh, so employ great storytelling to make it memorable, employ great challenging, employ great um best practices, um advice, take an advisory position always is, is a way of making that experience great and making sure that the and the SEs don't don't exist in a bubble that they're actually a part of a of a sales team that is more than just the sales and pre-sales people but goes goes way beyond that as well i i absolutely love what you're saying about being memorable because i mean there's a lot of science behind that isn't there about how the brain works and you know how mm. and you know myself kind of live in a lot of the time in the demo world and you know demo coaching people it's that uh, the number you know, similar to your story about going on a show and you know just transposing logos on stands, is it the certain mature software segments you can do almost exactly the same thing you know with a logo on the top left hand side of a you know of a user interface? You go, what happened if I you know put 
your competitor's logo there? Would anyone notice the difference? Um, you know, so so a lot of it is sometimes it's not about your technology. It has to be about, as you said, differentiating or being more memorable by something else. You know, you know the way that you interact with them, the you know advice. Um, you know, influence is a one directional thing. The way that you advise them, you know, the, the credibility that you beam out, the trust. You know, the the you know the buyers need to talk with an equal. You know, building all of these things together. And going back to, you know, it's a very circular episode, this, by the way, and bringing it all the way back to whether you want to, you know, the experience that they have, isn't it? It all draws all the way back to the the experience is not just a thing that happens at the beginning. It's a lifelong thing that they, you know, especially if you've set expectations at the beginning, it, you've got to maintain that all the, all the way through. Um, because, you know, in the uh, subscription and consumption world, they're constantly buying, aren't they? It's a constant buying mentality. You know, I could stop subscribing to you tomorrow, uh, you know, next year, you stop paying for it and and move somewhere else. Well, I, I mean, please keep subscribing to GP Jasmine Pod, of course. <laughs> and if you're not subscribed, uh, please do already. Um, um, but th- yes, I, I think that's that's really fascinating. And when it comes down to the anatomy of a demo, because we've we've demoed all of this for for years and years, and I, and I think what's really fascinating is when you see people come in talking about a demo. Oh, let me show you everything it does. Hmm. Well, the problem is that. I mean, I, I used to to be part of a company selling finance software, and debits and credits are the same with whichever finance software: an invoice, a bill, a receipt, you know, an expense. They all do exactly the same thing, and they all do it slightly differently, but not noticeably. Um, but the ability to affect change within an organisation by a vendor and help buyers, because the vendor doesn't doesn't do it all when you look at an implementation plan it's not all by the vendor it is by some of the vendor and some of the um some of the customer um, i think that's a really fascinating point don that uh yeah you really have to describe that value not just software yeah i did we're kind of coming to the close because we try and have these podcasts at uh, was it dog walk and workout friendly 30 minutes or so and um, so as we kind of drawn to the close i'd like to go kind of go back to toby and say what you know of all the things that we've talked about what do you think is the most important and you know uh you know if you want to change the, the whole experience that you have you know what what should you perhaps focus on first or what's going to make the biggest impact um Always think about the customer as uh, someone who's trying to affect change in their organization and how you could help them do that. Mm. Not just how I, part of that is how I can show them an amazing piece of software to help them do that. But think about it more in the round and more as, as you say, the whole experience end to end of what they are trying to do and how how you're going to help them. Mark, what, what, what have you drawn from today? Well, echoing that, but also to add, um, I'm really fascinated by these these journeys that the different people go through and the ex- the experience they have with each vendor. Um, I think it's important to map those out. So I'm going to go and map those out. So I think that would be my recommendation um, to follow follow your own follow your own journey. Pretend you're your own customer and see see what it's like. If you if you phone up the number on your company's website what happens yeah. like have you ever done it i'll go and do it and uh it's a Definitely. very strange experience 
Would, or I've click done the that button before. On the I've top. done journey mapping. Oh, click the button. Yeah. So it says watch click the, the button on the yeah, top right. It says book a demo <laughs> and see what happens and be appalled. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but it, I mean, well, I, I mean, I'd, we could spend a whole because customer journey mapping, having kind of met it quite a few times, uh, we could have had a whole episode just talking about that and its linkages to uh, design thinking. And I would, I, you know, I'd, there's a company called IDEO that there is a lot of people with some really brilliant resources on it, and it's such a really powerful technique that you know uh, Toby's introduced it to us there, but we really need a, a separate episode because some of the really big companies out there, you know, Oracle, SAP, they've invested a lot of money in this because it, may, it does make a huge difference and it really will differentiate you and make you more memorable the more you understand, you know, what's actually happening, how, uh, you know, it, these kind of soft expressions like feel, what is the, the client feeling or what is a different uh, persona feeling at different stages? And I, I always jokingly say for the person who ever signed the deal um, at the point they signed it, that's probably the lowest they're ever feeling. <laughs> <laughs> because because it's all about them now, isn't it? They're the, going, oh, you went inside I know that it. feeling. Like, oh, I've got to do it now. I've got it. <laughs> so brilliant. So just thank you so much, Toby. We'd, we'd love to kind of kind of do it again. Thank you so much for joining us on uh, two pre-sales and on two pre-sales in a pod. And we'll join you again soon. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Two Pre-Sales in a Pod. We'd love to hear from you on LinkedIn.